Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop, the official podcast of Florida State's official student newspaper, uh, the FSBU and the Florida Flambeau. Um, as always, I am your host, Logan Grutchfield. I'm joined today by Austin Reynolds, who writes with me on the FSBU for the sports section. But most importantly, Austin, you are one of the new hosts now for um, on V89. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I'm the new co-host for Talk uh, not Talk and Shop. That's what I'm on right now. Uh, Tomahawk Talk. That is V89's weekly sports talk show, Mondays at 7 p.m. on 89.7 FM in Tallahassee. Alrighty. So between the two of us, yeah. uh, I have a voice for print, and Austin has the face for radio. So that is how we that is how we uh, decide who's coming on every week on Talk and Shop. So uh, I think the biggest uh, point of focus for us this week. Um, FSU lost 42 to 26 last week against Notre Dame. Um, but I think for a lot of fans, a lot of people watching for, you know, cheering for Florida state, obviously the, uh, the scoreboard was not ideal, but I don't know that that many people were coming in thinking, is there really any chance that Florida state might have of knocking off Notre Dame? And I think just, some of the clarity that that game provided for the offense, especially with Jordan Travis looking fairly comfortable as a starter um, at quarterback. I think some of the answers that that game provided outweighed obviously the result on the scoreboard. And then Florida state's got another big game coming up uh, this Saturday at seven 30 at home against uh, North Carolina. And now I think obviously the big point, that I want to touch on is Jordan Travis, just as the starting quarterback, he looked pretty, I mean, he looked definitely better as a passer than I think a lot of us had seen. Granted, there wasn't a whole lot of passing plays that he was featured on prior to coming in against uh, Jacksonville state. But I know Austin, you wanted to mention there's been one big personnel change that really might shake up his game uh, this Saturday. Yes, so the star wide receiver for this team, Tamari Terry, is not going to be available. He is having, I believe, a procedure on his knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so he is going to be sidelined for at least this week and most likely weeks to come. And it, this is actually a pretty big issue for Travis, considering, one, he's really fresh or really raw as a passing quarterback. Yeah. And two, yeah, and, and two last week against Notre Dame, uh, Tamari Terry caught nine passes in the game and nobody else caught more than two. So he was definitely using Terry as sort of a safety blanket, yeah. which you cannot, you can't, you can't really follow for because since he is so new as a passer and Tamari Terry is open downfield a lot, he's by far the best receiver on this team. Uh, you're going to be looking to him for a lot of big plays, but those big play opportunities are just not going to be there against UNC this week. So going to need to see a lot more creativity from the offense. If FSU is, to remain competitive against UNC. I completely agree. I was looking at just the, the total receptions from each wide receiver as well. Um, and Tamari Terry had 21. The next closest was Ontario Wilson, and he only had 14. So, I mean, right. you have Tamari and Terry, and I think when you talk about him being a safety blanket for Jordan Travis, I mean, I think he's he's – as you say, he's clearly the best wide receiver on the team. I think he's that kind of safety blanket for – he was for Blackman. Um, he probably was for Tate Rodemacher and some of these other players. I mean, just with varying success in in-game situations. And that was even with he got completely shut out against Miami. So um, I think that'll be a big question mark 
that we'll need to see how that is addressed, obviously, against Miami. But I think just looking at the offense in general against Notre Dame, one thing that really stuck out to me was they seem to be doing a little bit better. Well, obviously just better moving the ball in general, but they seem to be doing a lot better, especially as the game went on, too, on early down situations. Um, Because I know it seemed to me like watching a lot of these games, there would be too many times where it'd be, all right, third and 16, third and 17. And when you don't have a uber-competent passer, like, you know, we, we don't have Ian Book under center. So I think that was kind of the the main strategy for a lot of the defenses that Florida State was lining up against is, all right, stuff the box on the run. You know, I mean, they might get creative if, you know, once against JSU, we get Travis in there. Um, and the, Florida State's got good running backs, but if you kind of stop the run, stop the mid-range passing game, and then force them to air it out and make errors on third long, that's a pretty good textbook for success right there. But it seemed like, you know, Jordan Travis was at least able to step it up, find a little bit more of a short passing game that we had seen. And also um, the running game seems to be really stepping up as well. I know you wanted to talk about that, Austin. Yeah, the running game in particular, uh, they did have a good showing against uh, JSU, sort of the three-headed monster of Ja'Shawn Corbin, um, Lawrence Toafili, and LaDamian Webb. Yeah. They all had great games. I think each of them scored at least one touchdown in that game. But they were really sort of a no-show against Notre Dame, which does speak to you saying that opposing defenses just kind of stack the box and try and limit that rushing game as much as possible. Uh, Jordan Travis was actually FSU's leading rusher in that game with 96 yards. So that does speak to how well they were able to shut down those runs up the middle by running backs, but it also speaks to how comfortable Travis was just going outside the pocket, extending plays with his legs, which is really what he was known for prior to the JSU game. Uh, He was inserted for a couple plays here and there last season, and he exploded for a couple big runs. So not too surprising there, but just with the, with the run game in particular, there is going to need to be a lot more consistency game to game. Uh, if FSU is expected to like remain afloat, I guess, not even like contend in the ACC, but just if they have a shot at finishing close to 500. Certainly. And it starts with UNC. It, it starts with UNC. Absolutely. And I think, again, I mean, UNC is ranked number five. Florida State certainly has their work cut out for them. But I think one thing I think that Florida State might be able to key on is North Carolina's defense has not been – particularly spectacular this year and I think I mean it's not like Florida State's offense has been setting records either but I I certainly think I mean when you look at the on paper some of the results from last week I think nobody expected Florida State to be leading at the end of the first quarter and obviously Mm -hmm. that's early that didn't that obviously was not sustainable against Notre Dame but still I mean the early returns on the Jordan Travis offense seem very promising So, I I mean, and I think we saw it there that if Florida State can kind of, you know, really push the gas at the beginning of the game and, you know, wear down this, you know, already, you know, middle of the road uh, North Carolina defense, I think that could pay some dividends for them. Um, And I was going through on the other side of the ball, I was looking at um, North Carolina's offensive coordinator, I believe his name is Tom Longo. Um, He was talking about just kind of the main philosophy that he has uh, when running the offense. And he seemed like kind of a, they kind of like to run a shifty offense. He says, you know, we're not 
focused on doing one thing and one thing only. You know, it's, I mean, obviously they've got a great pocket passer and Sam Howell, but he says, if we need to run the ball 70 times uh, to beat somebody, that's what we'll do. If we need to pass the ball 70 times, that's what we'll do. It depends on what kind of looks we're getting from them, how we're responding to them. And then, you know, just how they're able to, you know, make those things pay off. So I'm thinking if Florida state, Austin, I just want to get your thoughts on Florida State's defense first before I I go totally down the rabbit hole here. Because, I mean, I'm almost – I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth more than I usually do on a podcast like this. But I'm sitting here looking at a 42-26 to final score, and yet I'm still thinking, wow, the defense isn't too bad. You know, I mean, we're looking at even the Georgia Tech game, they gave up 16 points yet still gave up over 450 total yards. I mean, what I'm not entirely sure what to make of Florida state's defense. I want to get, I want to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to come to a solid conclusion on this because obviously giving up 35 points in the first half is not ideal in any game scenario, Yeah. but the fact, the fact, the fact that they were able to tighten up so much in the second half and only give up one touchdown, really speaks volumes to just how driven this defense is, even though the results may not be there on paper, because it was still, Uh that game was still completely within reach at halftime. And the defense realized that they limited Notre Dame to just one touchdown, as I mentioned. Uh, So, I mean, that, that was the game that FSU easily could have won if a few things go differently. I I, I say easily, but they, they fathomably could have won that if say the penalty on Jaden Lars would be for hitting a uh, returner out of bounds is not called. Or, oh, yeah. if, or if Jordan Travis, I mean, the interception was understandable because he's still new to the passing game, new to these like late game red zone situations. So it was really only a matter of time before he threw a red zone pick. But if, if that goes FSU's way, it's a much closer game than it ends up being. So, I mean, the defense was a large part of that, keeping FSU in the game. Certainly. And I mean, you know, I'd like to think that we know what we're talking about even as we say this about a defense that gave up 52 points to Miami and 42 Mm -hmm. points to Notre Dame, but you also look at the Georgia tech game. I mean, they shut them out in the first half Um, Notre Dame and Miami. I mean, are running two stellar offenses. I think De'Ara King has completely uh, caught the ACC off guard. Um, So it's not like Florida state is getting run over by teams that don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like we've got wake forest rolling up and, you know, dropping 40 points on us now knock on wood hopefully that will not happen right um now looking at then again what unc their offensive coordinator has said i'm just worried about you know what if you're going to try to pick apart one part of this offense or one part of the florida state defense excuse me um i mean i'm thinking up front is the obvious you know try to just pound the ball on the ground until you can kind of wear everybody down and then pick them apart with the pass. But I mean, because we haven't really seen a great showing from the D line so far this year. So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you would have anything different to say on that because I mean, Asante Samuel has been playing with his hair on fire this year, Mm -hmm. but it's not like the secondary overall has been, you know, doing crazy things either. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree that Notre Dame or not not Notre Dame, UNC is going to have to attack the, the line of scrimmage uh-huh. because I, I believe FSU's defensive line has three sacks on the year so far, which is really 
a really bad testament to how bad it is a testament to how bad their pass rush has been. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and you just, you look back to uh, UNC's last game against the, against Virginia tech and you talk about their offense being varied. That is a huge understatement. They put up 656 total yards, almost 400 rushing. That's just one, one yard shy, 399. So, I mean, <laughs> 399 yards rushing, that really pops off the stat sheet. Yeah, and against against a, a run defense as bad as FSU's, that is definitely going to be their bread and butter. That is that is terrifying. I am uh, yeah. worried that yeah, Michael Carter and Javante Williams will just be, you know, they will be giving the Florida State defense hell mm-hmm. on Saturday night, uh, to say the least. But um, shoot, I'm trying to yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of issues there. Um, and I'm thinking, but so if Florida State now also think about North Carolina earlier in the year, I mean, against that, that first game they had against Syracuse, I remember sitting in the press box at Doak and watching as they were, what was the final score, like 19 to 12 or something like that? I mean, it took them a while to get going. Um, but who knows? I mean, it wouldn't be totally unrealistic, but I could see Florida State have kind of a, a um, coming out moment like UNC did later on against their uh, Boston College game, I believe it was. Um, So, I mean, I think a major step up with Travis under center, I wouldn't bet on it. But if I saw it happen, I mean, obviously that would be great. So I'm just trying to think the keys to winning here against UNC, I think if Florida State can keep the heat on offense early, and keep it going. Now, I think also some of the earlier success that they had against Notre Dame, especially in that first half, was, I mean, just unbelievable special teams play. You know, and that, I don't know that you could really account for that. But also, I mean, Mike Norvell has said special teams is going to be the foundation of any team that I coach. You know, and some of the statistics that I remember seeing from when he was the head coach at um, Memphis, you know, like this team would have – they had the first, like, blocked field goal return for a touchdown, first kickoff return for a touchdown in, like, decades when he was doing it. So, I mean, it's a factor. I don't want to say, you know, the special teams is going to put up two touchdowns or anything. But I think if Florida State can kind of keep the heat on on all, on all sides, um, stop the run somehow. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how you do that, especially against a team that put up 400 uh, last week. Right. Uh, 400 just on the ground but and then somehow figure out a way to get Ontario Wilson more involved get Cam McDonald more involved you know get not be totally reliant on Tamori and Terry um in the air um and Austin is there any anything else that you think this Florida State team really needs to focus on for North, for North Carolina I mean, pretty much all of what we said with regards to getting the run game more involved and finding more pass catching targets to replace Tamario on Terry for this game, that yeah. all comes down to that all comes down to the offensive line uh, being more consistent. Which is, it's really been a hard ask for the past four years. Offensive line play has been definitely the uh, the darkest shadow of FSU's uh, play so far since yeah. I've been at, since I've been at Florida State. But I mean, that is that's just the key because. You have to keep Jordan Travis uh, on his feet for long enough to get his first and second and maybe even third reads down. And the offensive line obviously is going to be the key to uh, pr- offensive production uh, from the running backs. So 
if FSU is to stay in this game, if the defense is to stay off the field, not get worn out, then the offensive line has to step up. And I, I, I just, I, I don't know how feasible of an ask that is because of what I just said. That's true. I mean, it, I mean, it's been a rough season. It has been a long string of rough seasons here for the offensive line. And I mean, also, you know, we're saying, Oh, just, you know, get these things more involved. Just keep the heat on, on offense. This, this is, obviously significantly easier said than done. Yeah. Um, and one thing also I was just thinking about compared to some of the FSU teams we've seen in the past. I mean, I can't really remember the last time that Florida state had a real, you know, a quarterback who could really run mm-hmm. um, obviously as much or was as reliant on the run as um, Jordan Travis is. And I mean, this is definitely just when you think of Florida state, football on offense I mean I kind of think of having an obviously extremely talented pocket passer as we saw with um Blackman at his best we saw it with DeAndre Francois and we saw it with Jameis Winston going even further back and then a running back that you know was kind of your bell cow you you know you could always rely on Cam Akers you could always rely on Dalvin Cook you could always rely on going even further back Devontae Freeman you know if you couldn't really get things going in the passing game and now this year we've got a quarterback who's kind of a Swiss army knife, you know, he can run, he can, you know, he's even lined up at wide receiver for a couple plays um, and he can pass, which is the biggest thing uh, that we saw against Notre Dame. And then we've got kind of a, uh, as you said, a three headed monster at running back, you know, it's not just, all right, uh, just pound the ball, came acres, came acres, came acres, throw in Kalen Laborn every, you know, seven or eight rushing attempts. And then, let him get going so um it's just different you know it's a different offense and i think if the seminoles can make it work it'll definitely be a fun one to watch yeah i mean it's like you said it's a completely different offense than what florida state fans and even the program itself is used to just having that strong strong pocket passing presence and then like you said a bell cow back like dalvin cook or cam Akers. i mean this is really nothing like those those teams of the past so it may not be this game that Florida State's able to turn the corner. We've seen glimpses of it in the past few games against Notre Dame and JSU, but it is going to take a while for FSU to sort of own this identity and make it their own uh, heading forward. But I mean, it, it, this game, based off of what I saw against Notre Dame, I'm excited for. Even though North Carolina is currently ranked the fifth best team in the country, uh, Notre Dame held that same ranking. So, and, and FSU was really inspiring, I'd say. Uh, all things considered in that game. So definitely looking forward to this weekend. Absolutely. And I mean, I think as we've seen too, with some of the, uh, especially the early returns from LSU, the early returns from Oklahoma, some of these mm-hmm. highly ranked, um, you know, what might be indicated in the ranking, it might not be indicated on the actual gridiron. So exactly. I'm not saying especially in this season of all seasons. Come out and knock off number five. But, you know, it's you can't take the ratings, the rankings, excuse me, as the word of God. And this year mm-hmm. especially uh, is the it's the case for that. So I'm thinking for football, um, obviously, we've said the offensive line needs to do well. We need to keep seeing, um, you know, the passing success that we saw from Jordan Travis, especially with Tamori and Terry out. We need to see the run game step up as well. Um, if we're going score selection. I think this game could kind of be a shootout, but what, what are you thinking here, Austin? 
Um, I'm going to stick with the same prediction that I made on Tomahawk Talk earlier this week. I am sticking with 34-20 for UNC. All uh, right. That's actually the, the same scoreline that I predicted for Notre Dame FSU, and that score was matched in the first half. <laughs> but I believe that Notre Dame, or not Notre Dame, UNC is going to be able to tighten up their defense after the little boat race they had with Virginia Tech last week, especially yeah. against an offense that is going to be severely inhibited by the the uh, missing Tamari Terry's presence. I think FSU still stays within two touchdowns, obviously. I, I don't know quite what the spread is, but I would have to assume it's a little smaller than the 21-point spread that was uh, given to them against Notre Dame, which they yeah. covered. So oh. I, I, all things considered, I think FSU still makes it a uh, halfway close affair by the end. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the spread now. It is 13 and a half points. Okay, um, so they wouldn't cover. My bad. Yeah, so I think, you know, Florida State kind of – I mean, obviously – you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to have your opponent favored to beat you by two touchdowns. Yeah. But I mean, I think Florida State has kind of recovered some of the, uh, you know, from some of the heat that they would have been getting, especially after that Miami game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go a little bit ambitious here and say, mm-hmm. look at the over under 62. We certainly have one very capable offense in North Carolina. I think we have a budding capable offense. Um, with FSU, and I think as uh, past uh, co-host would have said, I I tend to be a little too optimistic when it comes <laughs> to federal football. So, you know, you can call me a fool all you want here. I am going to say final score over under 64. I'm going to say it hits the over 41-31. FSU okay. covers North Carolina wins. Yeah, I mean, based on recent history, I would not be entirely surprised by that. I think it'd be a really fun game to watch if it is that high scoring and FSU comes to within 10 points. But I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, and especially under the lights, you know, I don't know that FSU's performance was there, but it'll be a fun one to watch in Mm -hmm. Doe Campbell on Saturday night. So I want to turn now to uh, FSU's best active athletic team at the moment ranked number two in the country and that is uh fsu soccer and i know they've got a couple big road matchups coming up austin did a great piece in the view and florida flambeau uh that just came out previewing uh uh what's to come on that road trip um and it's Pitt and virginia that's coming up correct uh, yes, and they're actually playing Pitt right now. I'm trying to get score updates uh, from the FSU soccer Twitter, but they haven't really posted anything since earlier today. Uh, the, the match did start at 6 p.m. But it, 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 is, it is Pitt today and I believe Virginia on Sunday. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm on stat broadcast right now. Uh, I cheat a little bit, and this is just how I have my uh, statistics available for when I am podcasting. As they would say, in Florida State, it's tied 1-1. Uh, okay with 45 minutes gone by. Um, and I think that would be Christina Rook's first goal allowed this year. It so, is. Yes. Wow. So, um, but I know for Pitt, you talked about, there wasn't much of a compliment to it. It was kind of the Amanda West show mm-hmm. and, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on. And now it was for Madison Clayton that did pick up the goal, but it was Amanda West on the assist. So um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what obviously um, FSU would be would be focusing on in this game. Yeah, just looking at the the stats for Pitt on this season so far, their biggest contributor by far has been Amanda West. She does lead Pitt with nine goals, 
And you, you may not have seen it uh, with her scoring a goal today, but she was she was on the assist for Pitt's first goal of the game. So still the offense is being ran through her. So my biggest emphasis in this article uh, was that FSC would have to shut down Amanda West. And so far they have in the goal scoring department, but she has still been a key part of that offense, keeping it tied at halftime and ultimately uh, leading to FSU's first surrendered goal of the season. So definitely going to be a big emphasis in the second half, shutting down her passing ability and scoring ability, because she is really just the, the one the, the one big contributor on this offense that really jumped off the page. But that's, that's not to discount any of the other members of this team. Yeah, certainly. And it's – now that's kind of a weird, you know, or definitely a, a different team makeup mm-hmm. than when I look at Florida State and I have harped on this maybe too continuously is that just the depth for this FSU team is absurd. Yes. I mean, it's – you know, you can have – we talk about – like a three-headed monster at running back. I mean, this is a, a, a what, eight, nine-headed monster for FSU soccer. You know, we had uh, Leilani Nesbeth picking up the first goal. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it's somebody different. You know, UJ Zhao has obviously been um, killing it. I think she's kind of the heir apparent to what Dana Castellanos was to the team last year. But, I mean, Jalen Howell's been having a great season. Jody Brown has been having a great season. Uh, Jenna Nicewanger, as usual. Emily Modrill has been coming out of nowhere. I shouldn't say coming out of nowhere, but after, you know, two years gone with ACL tears, she's been, you know, playing with her hair on fire. So it's definitely, you know, for FSU. I mean, I think just, you know, when you've got a, a Swiss Army knife of Swiss Army knives like they do, um, it's definitely terrifying for any team that they might be going up against. Um, so, and then for Virginia, I know you said it was a little more, a little more of a balanced attack. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. There was definitely a lot more balance in their offense. Uh, no player on the team has actually scored more than two goals, but the team has only scored 10 goals in their six games to this point. So not really that dynamic of an offense, but when they, when they are able to score, it's not just one person, uh, that you need to shut down. It's a lot more varied. So FSU's approach to that game is going to have to be a lot more nuanced. Um, I mean, just play solid defense, I would say, because FSU does have the best defense and currently offense in the, in the nation. So just rely on the other side of your team uh, to, kind of, uh-huh. to kind of stop their already anemic offense from getting any shots on goal. Absolutely. And I mean, that's I think Florida State has done a fantastic job of that. I mean, that's part of the reason why they didn't allow their first goal until today mm-hmm. was because, I mean, Christina Roke has been playing well. But, you know, it's not like she's been getting bombarded with, you know, 10 or 12 shots on goal. You know, it's when you really hold them to two or three, you know, like Florida State has been doing, it's, you know, it certainly makes it a lot easier for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have the offense playing, you know, with the, you know, you don't have the offense playing with added pressure. You got the defense playing extremely well. And then you give your goaltender a little slack as well. Um and now for – so I think, yeah, overall Florida State manages to do that, to do that very well. Um, for And you mentioned it in your article. I mean, Florida State's generating also about 20 shots on goal a game. You know, so when you have a team like Virginia, I think that bodes very well uh, against the Cavs when you have a team like Virginia that's, you know, getting one, maybe two goals a game, you know, mm-hmm. not – 
necessarily generating a ton of shots. So, I mean, if all else fails, you know, I think, I don't think Florida State's defense is going to have a meltdown, but if it were to happen, you know, I would count on FSU to be able to outshoot them for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 19 and a half shot attempts per game. That's what the, the total was, or the average was coming into this match against Pitt. I mean, that just wears out opposing defenses. Maybe not all those shots are on goal. I would say about a third of them are just based off what I'm rem- remembering from the stat sheet. But that wears out the back line that wears out the goalkeeper. So just once you, when you're putting 20 shot attempts on the goal per game, some of those are going to come through. And that's really been, yeah. that's really been the recipe for success for FSU so far. It's just that continued pressure. So I mean, that's I, I don't have stat broadcast open right now. I'm not sure how many shots or shots on goal have been shot by FSU so far, but they've already got eight. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and then yeah, eight total, and then three on on goal. So okay. um, yeah, I mean, when you do the, when you do the math, when you multiply it by two, I mean that pretty much averages out to what they've been doing so far this season. Yeah, and then I'm looking at Pitt right now. Uh, their goal was their only shot on goal so far. So, I mean, I think that's almost just kind of the numbers game coming back to bite the Seminoles, mm-hmm. you know, more than anything else. I mean, when you – at a certain point, like you said, it's the same side of the coin. If you're shooting the ball 15, 20 times a game, something's going to get through. But eventually, you know, even if you're only allowing one or two or three shots a game, something's going to get through. So, um, this will be interesting to see. I mean, this is – the first time Florida State still, obviously, this is the first time they played with a deficit, as they did for a little bit earlier on. But um, nothing, nothing. obviously, I don't think that FSU can't handle. And actually, they just had a shot uh, that went over top of the goal uh, by Malia Berkeley right now. So um, I think for soccer, uh, the Seminoles are ranked number two right now. Um, I think come springtime, which is when I believe they'll be having some more formalized tournament play, uh, this team will be uh, certainly a force to be reckoned with. So, and then as, as we go to football, you know, uh, American football, so to speak, um, I think it's a team that's finding its, starting to find its identity, which is something that we've talked about uh, under Mike Norvell. I think it's a team that's got a lot of great individual talent, but really hasn't been able to stitch it together. And I think Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game was a step in that direction, at least for the offensive uh, offensive unit. And then for volleyball tonight, they will be playing uh, tonight and Friday night in Miami uh, against the University of Miami, uh, trying to get their first win of the season uh, after going 0-2 to start against Georgia Tech. So, um, Austin, any closing thoughts from you? Um, just for volleyball in particular, it's going to be good to even win one set uh, or a couple sets over this two-game series with Miami because they did get shut out in both games against Georgia Tech, losing 0-3 to three in both affairs. So just even the slightest bit of momentum heading into like the later parts of this conference schedule is going to be key for them. But it, I, I just want to echo your exact sentiments on this new Mike Norvell era for FSU and the new identity this team is looking for. Because obviously, the first two games of the season were frustrating. The first half against JSU was frustrating, but based off the glimpses that we've seen ever since Jordan Travis was inserted against JSU, I have complete optimism for this team moving forward. I mean, Travis is only going to get better as a passer, you have to think. And if he, if this hand issue of his is completely healed as he and the team says it is, then the, the sky is really the limit for him. Yeah, and, for, and to be quite honest with you, I'm kind of glad that we, we saw this too. Because I feel like when you talk about team identity, that's one of those things where you say it and you're like, 
what does this even mean? You know, if you're not seeing it, you're like, when is this, you know, when is this team going to kind of figure things out? Um, and I think it was almost like we're talking about something that's like, are we going to figure this out? Because <laughs> there certainly wasn't much of a team identity besides, you know, blowing things in the second half. Um, if I can be candid, when Willie Taggart sure. was the head coach. So um, I'm glad to see, especially for football, the steps in the right direction, even if they're baby steps. You know, you can hope that they can keep taking these baby steps, not counteract them with a step backwards. Um, and we can start to see, especially as FSU kind of gets a little bit of a break in its schedule, um, we can kind of see that this team really start to um, make a count on the scoreboard. So um, we won't have to give them a pass like we are now. So, but all right, that's all we've got. Thank you so much for coming on, Austin. And um, if you haven't already, make sure to read his work in the FSU and Florida Flambeau or tune in to Tomahawk Talk, where you were co-hosting with Gary. Is that yes, correct? sir. He was the co-host last year under Luke Fay, who's now graduated and on to better things. But Gary has stepped up into the host chair. We, uh, we're having in-person shows, thankfully. We are very lucky to have that opportunity uh, with proper social distancing and uh, uh, sanitizing procedures at the station. But it, it's a blast every Monday night. So definitely tune in if you would like to. All right, that sounds good. That That is uh, FSU's cold take. I mean, hot take in Central, <laughs> excuse me. So, um, uh, again, yeah, so make sure you can catch Austin uh, those ways for sure, and you can always catch me in the FSU and Florida Flambeau. So, again, that's all we've got. Thanks so yeah, much. Thank Austin. you.